from Flourish DX School, this is the Flourishing at School podcast. With mental health becoming a global priority, we are your partner for creating schools where students, teachers and school leaders feel good and function well, becoming the best versions of themselves and contributing to a flourishing world. Welcome to the Flourishing at School podcast. I'm Tamara Lechner. Each week I bring you the best practitioners, academics, and everything in between in order to inform best practice in whole school mental health. Now, this week I am recording solo, again, time zone challenges with me and Jason, and I am still in Victoria. This is probably the longest I've been home for a long time, but I'm excited that next week I get to go to Austin, Texas. I am traveling for a social emotional learning in action conference, which is a gathering by the Novo Foundation, the Education First Philanthropy Group, and the Rockefeller Foundation. And so if you as a listener are going to be there, I want to encourage you to reach out and connect with me on LinkedIn so that I can find you when we're there. And now on to the good stuff. I am delighted to have my friend Angie Shear as a guest this week. Now, I've known Angie probably for what, three years now, Angie? Would that be about right? Yeah, I would say about then, yeah. And I met Angie. She's got a background as a PE teacher, as a coach. She loves the character strengths. And I'm always so impressed by the work that Angie is doing to help kids to feel and do their best. And so, Angie, welcome to the Flourishing at School podcast. Well, thank you so much. It's a privilege to be here and great to see you again, Tamara. Oh, it's, it's lovely to see you. So we always start by letting the guests tell us a bit about their background. And you have an interesting background. You're in Scotland, so you're our first guest from Scotland. Um, in five minutes or less, could you tell our audience a bit about you and your background? Sure. Um, yeah, so it's great um, being here today and like being a, a, a Scottish influence in the, the world of uh, positive education and well-being and coaching. Um, but yeah, my journey started um, as a PE teacher. So um, I had a passion for helping young people uh, within sport and activity to, you know, do their best and uh, ended up um, 17 years teaching. I still am. Um, but my journey to is taking a little bit of a curveball over the years. Um, so I would say about five years ago, um, I wanted to achieve more than teaching. I could see a lot of young people kind of struggling. And um, I was like, you know, how can I help and support these young people? So I ended up coming across coaching and it seemed like a really interesting um, approach to, to use, um, you know, compared to mentoring where you help a young person maybe give advice and offer suggestions, this kind of idea where you're just really um, empathetically listening. There's no judgment. You're really curious and asking those open questions to help them figure out what, what's best for them and their way forward. Um, and I really like that idea. So um, my coaching journey was amazing. Um, met some amazing people. Um, but as I was doing the coaching course, I also started to hear about positive psychology coaches <laughs> and I was like oh what's positive psychology so then ended up down this other avenue and came across positive education where they're using 
you know, the science of well-being within schools and trying to be proactive in helping young people build um, a lot of well-being skills instead of kind of waiting too long and too late till, you know, young people get, you know, sometimes quite seriously unwell. Um, and I love this. Um, I got so um, enthusiastic about it all, heard all about G1 Grammar, um, find um, the Flourishing Centre's CAP um, programme. So at one in the morning, I'd be joining the, the CAP programme. So I'd get, get a couple hours sleep, wake up at 1am, do the couple hours in the evenings on a Tuesday and Thursday evening um, with an amazing bunch of people that were on that course to learn from and share ideas from. And so I got my um, certificate and applied positive psychology. I then um, also did my positive education certification and it was, it was great to cross paths with you again when I did my training to then train other um, educators in the positive education certificate. So I've just loved learning all this and it's really helped um, enhance me as a teacher. But also I've now gone into my own business as well. So I've created Full Colour Coaching where, yeah, the aim is to try to get in early to schools, try and help young people at an earlier point where they have the capacity to learn some wellbeing strategies and skills that will help them and be that coaching, listening ear for them and help them through some life's ups and downs. And I'm not a researcher, but I have tried to do the before and after um, kind of uh, Edinburgh Warwick mental health survey and things. I've tried to do that so I can gauge if it is helping and, and luckily a lot of the um, questionnaires that come back are showing that there is that shift. Um, so yeah, my mission now, I'm teaching three days a week and I'm doing my full clear coaching work two days a week across different schools, uh, primary and secondary. And I would like to try and get more coaching and more, you know, proactive mental health and wellbeing kind of whole school approaches in and across schools in Scotland and the UK. Um, I think we've still got a bit to go here, um, but it's always inspiring to hear stories of, you know, some schools who are starting down that path um, and learning from, from others to figure out, okay, how can we do more of that here? So... Angie, your, st your story is going to be inspiring to people in your region. Um, it's, it's all about following your curiosity with your heart and, and really seeing a problem and just moving towards solving it. And I love that. I want to go back for just a second because you yeah. talked about mentoring versus coaching. And yeah. I think for our audience, we've had two people. Um, Dr. Helen Street was on talking about coaching at one point. And I think people still have some confusion around the differences between coaching and mentoring and therapy. Mm -hmm. And I had it explained to me recently in a way that made a lot more sense perhaps than before where mentoring is working towards a goal um, and coaching is more led by the student or the client. And, and so for me, that really clarified how this is working in a school. Um, is that... In your experience, what's happening? What's the difference? Am, am I right? T tell me I'm right. <laughs> no, absolutely. Absolutely. I think um, from our experience within schools, when mentoring has been used, 
it's usually with those students that may need a bit more guidance and support leading up to exams. So the kind of the goal and the focus is there already. The students are kind of brought along to the mentoring and the staff are there to offer advice and guidance on studying, revision techniques and so on. And I do feel that, you know, that is needed at some points. Um, but a lot of the time the students don't have the right revision techniques or strategies because they're lacking in self-confidence or self-belief. And it's getting to that first. So then they do feel motivated to revise because they feel they can do it rather than these automatic negative thoughts telling them, why bother? Because I'm rubbish, I'm going to fail. So um, I think that's where I think coaching can be really quite empowering for young people because you're not giving them advice and solutions. You're asking them, well, what do you think you need? What will help you to achieve the, the grade that you want to get? Um, what's getting in the way and how can we help fix that and sort that um, and it really gets them thinking from a different angle than they've ever thought before because nobody's really asked them these questions it's usually have you done your revision if not why not you know uh, rather yeah, than like, yeah. what's going on underneath that's preventing them from really um, do it, doing that um, and there usually is something underlying absolutely I love that that was a, a really clear example um, another follow-on question I have, because your background is as a PE teacher, and I have run into a really high percentage of coaches or teachers who are interested in social-emotional learning, positive education, character development, who come from a PE background. Do you have any hypothesis as to why yes. that might be? Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, and when I'm on LinkedIn or, or looking at um, the background of where people have come from, I've noticed that as well, that there's quite a few PE teachers amongst us. Um, I'm, I'm not 100% sure, but I wonder if it's, you know, within PE, we get to see the whole child. You know, we get to see them. Uh, we're not just trying to develop them physically um, within the activities, but we're trying to develop them emotionally, mentally, socially as well. That's a big part of our job. And, you know, when I left university, you know, a big part of what I wanted to do was to really help young people's confidence and, and self-esteem. And through activities and sport, we could help them realise um, that they, they can do things, they can achieve things. Um, and I do, I still love sport and I love activities, but I think I'm feeling more and more drawn to the well-being side. And I think there's more that we can do to help support young people. Um, sport is great, but also it's it's not for everyone. and I'm seeing lots of amazing things through coaching and uh, well-being programs and strategies that can really help universally all students. So that's just, I think, getting drawn to the well-being side, potentially out of the whole um, physical, mental, emotional, social side of things. Yeah. yeah, I think perhaps someone who comes from a PE background, a physical education background, has they already start with a I'm thinking of the physical body, the health and the performance, the mental game. And so then mm -hmm. extracting that to life just makes sense, yeah. right? Most most of your students aren't gonna end up being professional basketballers or footballers, yeah. but the skills they learn translate directly to their future and coaching slightly different than teaching where you might be a maths expert or a 
chemistry yeah. expert and you're focused a little bit more on your topic rather than the human who's showing up to learn your topic. So that, that mm -hmm. makes a ton of sense. You talked a bit about when you see it go right. Could you share with me an example of what it looks like when someone is using the skills of, of coaching or well-being science in a school and an example of something that went right? Um, yeah. Um, so some of the, the coaching that I've done um, has been one-to-one -one and that works, you know, really well um, across probably towards the older students um, and you can really have those quite true coaching conversations. Um, but I've also introduced coaching into much younger students and um, sometimes we do small group coaching. So like, little groups of, you know, four or five. And, and so I'll, just to get clear, yeah. when you're saying younger students, what ages are you talking oh, about? Oh yeah, okay. So the older ones probably like 13, 14 up and the younger ones like from like eight to 10 kind of age group. Yep. So the eight to 10, so I quite like doing the small group coaching sessions. Um, because they're quite open to learning new things and they're really quite enthusiastic. But what I really love about that is when we're doing activities or when we're talking about things, they are learning from each other and they're getting support from one another as well. And that's really lovely to see. Um, so at one point I had a focus on character strengths. So we all had the, the cards I laid on the table with the, the 24 different strengths and each of them picked out strengths that they thought they had. And we each shared a story about you know what it was about that strength that we felt wish we, we had and demonstrated. Um, I then asked them to like, okay, pick a strength that you've seen someone else in the group use. And, and it's so nice in that small group situations to hear them share stories about their peers, about, oh, they were kind in the playground when I didn't have someone to play with. Um, and then I often do little activities like we'll make, um, we'll make our own little character strengths, like hero person. Um, and they just they enjoy getting involved in learning um, about their strengths and also sharing that with each other. Um, after that, the class, actually, the rest of the class, um, created a Microsoft team channel. So it was nice to see the teacher want to also keep it going within the class. So they were then able to, if they spotted someone using um, that strength of the week, so kindness, for example, the, the classmates would pop on the team channel to say, I saw Jimmy, you know, in the playground demonstrating his kindness because he, you know, um, we spotted somebody that didn't have someone to play with and went over and and so just that was that's been really good um doing the coaching with the small groups and then learning from each other but also when a class teacher wants to also take it and keep it going in the class so that it's really having a much la longer lasting benefit um, yeah i love when you see someone who becomes enthusiastic and starts to carry your torch yeah forward so that when you're not there the momentum keeps happening. Keeps, um, how long are these coaching sessions? So do they happen yeah. inside of the, the school timetable in a certain class or is this 
extracurricular? How do you fit it in in yeah. the groups that um, you're working with? So in the primary school, so that's um, the younger kind of category, the eight to tens that I've been working with, um, usually it's about 30 to 45 minutes. I'll have um, a group and then after that time, I'll work with another group. So I usually try to work with two or three groups at a time uh, for about 30 to 45 minutes. And we try to keep that going um, at least four weeks, but hopefully like six, ideally. Um, and so over that week, we're covering a lot of different um, topics um, and giving them a variety of strategies that they can take and use. So even if it's just three good things, um, them learning about their strengths, uh, doing a little bit of tapping or gratitude. So for the young, the younger ones especially, there is quite a big focus on well-being interventions and a little bit of coaching in there. Um, and then with the older ones, it's usually um, what we call one period out of their day. So that usually lasts like 45 to 50 minutes. And with older ones, you know, 13 up, it's generally more coaching um, and less about the well-being strategies, but through the coaching, um, whatever comes up for that young person, if there's things that I think would help them, then I would offer up some of the well-being interventions that um, might benefit them and share that with them. Um, but yeah, it's a, there's more of a focus on that coaching conversations uh, with, with them. And so, yeah, but one period a week for, again, four to six weeks, we try to um, see that young person so that by the end, you know, we can hopefully see a shift in a, in a, a difference in them. When it sounds like scaffolding this across the years, if in the younger years they're learning kind of these are the pillars to good mental health, and then as they get older, you can have the more private and more individualized conversations with them. You really are weaving this through the tapestry of how students and staff feel good and function mm -hmm. well and give back to their community. You're, you're modeling all of those things. We have um, in our Flourishing at School, the Flourish DX measurement tool, a strength spotting portion where very similar to what you were describing on Microsoft Teams, um, on your phone or on your laptop, you can spot a strength in another yeah. student. And we've seen a lot of schools starting to use it rather than when a peer is giving a speech and then you're going to give them feedback. The feedback is done through, these are the strengths yeah. that I saw displayed when that other student was speaking. And we all know it's really beautiful to have somebody yeah. else compliment us on our character strengths. What are your strengths? What are your top <laughs> strengths, Angie? Um, yeah, so my, my top strengths tend to be um, in the top five are uh, honesty, kindness, gratitude, and um, love of learning wasn't always in the top five, but I've seen that creep up um, over the last couple of years. Um, and that that's the repeat ones that I, I keep seeing yep. quite near the top, yeah. It's interesting how some, for, for those in our audience who are less familiar with the character strengths, there's some that are stable across a lifetime and some that fluctuate. So I had a phase where forgiveness was featuring 
quite high at the top, but it was post divorce. And, yeah. and, and so it's not one of my core strengths, but I was, I was using that muscle a lot. Yeah. Um, and, and so it really is an interesting language to weave again through the tapestry of a community. It kind of sets a baseline for talking about what is right with students. And so often we spend our time talking about the areas of detriment or the, the mistakes that somebody has made. Um, and so this really counterbalances it in a beautiful way. So that was a win. We talked about something that went well in school. Um, in positive education, we love to learn from what didn't go well. And so do you have a lesson that you might share with our listeners around something that either you tried or you've seen tried that didn't didn't go so well and maybe they can learn from from your mistake or a mistake you saw? Um, yeah, that's a challenging one because I think there's so many um, teachers or educators, um, counsellors and different people within schools that are all trying their best to improve well-being and find a way forward. Um, I think what makes it very difficult is the bigger systems themselves, of the the things that we have less control over as teachers and educators. Um, you know, so, you know, for example, um, we, at my, my school I, I currently teach at, um, for two to three years, it was kind of over COVID as well. We did manage to get a timetable period where, uh, we were lucky enough to start to, um, implement some positive education and wellbeing lessons, um, which was, which was great. Um, but we didn't have the same level of, um, time and maybe, um, st bigger strategy vision that some other schools may have had where the staff get the time to, to learn it, teach it, embed it, you know, that, that kind of thing. Um, it was like, okay, it'll go on the timetable, but you know, it's in, it starts in three weeks. So it was like, Okay. <laughs> um, but we did our best and we did really enjoy, um, delivering that and trying out these lessons. Um, it was also with, um, quite a challenging age group to start it with. It was like the 14, 15 year olds that are starting to get more grumpy and, you know, um, but they, they did like some of the, you know, the, the hands on team building and spotting each other's strengths and, and the interactive things. Part of the challenge was trying to make some of the lessons more interactive um, rather than, you know, like some of them did enjoy writing, um, but it was trying to make it as, as interactive and um, and that is possible. Um, but yeah, I still feel like schools, and it's, it's not their fault, um, there's pressure from other areas, but schools are still very much focused on particular subjects and particular results and academic achievement. Whereas all the research kind of points to that if wellbeing is good, we don't have to worry as much about academic achievement because it's going to increase. Um, people are worried about learning and teaching, but staff are tired and burnt out if we focused on wellbeing. <laughs> learning and teaching would improve because, <laughs> you know, so I just feel like we're still a bit back to front we're still putting so much time and energy on behaviour policies. I mean, why aren't we reframing that as 
you know, trauma-informed care and, you know, we're still coming at things from slightly the wrong angle. And I think if we shifted that, a lot of other problems would shift and change and academic performance would increase on its own because of improved well-being, because of improved relationships between teachers and students and because of that level of just more informed um, around, you know, trauma and being more relational and not this punishment reward system and you know a lot of the things that we're just doing the same thing round and round hoping for a different result <laughs> why don't we actually change what we're doing <laughs> which always works well right <laughs> um, so yeah there's it, it just gets it gets a little bit frustrating when you're in that because you know that there's a better way but it's hard to find that way um when schools are so set in in the way things have always been a little bit. Yeah, you are saying something that I've been hearing from schools in pockets all Mm -hmm. around the world. And part of what Jason and I have been working on, because we have this tool that measures not only the student um, takes a pulse of, of what's going on with the students, but it also looks at the staff. And what we see most frequently is that schools by the tool. They go right to students. They don't want to measure the staff or they measure the staff and discover surprise, surprise, the staff are all quite burnt out. And then they say, well, take a day off, maybe get a massage. You should, you should try to breathe differently or do some tapping. And it's like, actually there's a, there's a systemic cultural change um, that makes a bigger difference. And so when we've been Working with schools, we talk a lot about, yeah, you can't change policy. You can't change uh, what Scotland tells you must happen, but you can change the culture inside of a school. And the more that teachers have these conversations with one another around placing boundaries and, okay, what can we do to have each other's back? And what is our job clarity? And and we know things are coming like report cards. So how come we get overwhelmed (laughs) by them every time they show up? Isn't there maybe a a process that could change that we can change ourselves around how we're doing this. And we found that really deeply empowers teachers when they start to recognize, because we, I think there's a lot of this, well, I just can't change the system. I just, that's, that's not my job. I'm with the children. It's like, actually, if you feel better, they will do better. Um, and, and so you're right. You and I are, are speaking the same language that it, it, it is about this. And I still have great hope because there's such great people in the system that eventually the front to back that yeah. might get back <laughs> to the way it should be. <laughs> yeah, no, I do believe it will get there. Um, and it, it'll just take more time um, to, to get there. Um, but, you know, there has started to be some more, like, courses come out for staff, and it does touch on post-school mental health and well-being. And there's, there is starting to be a little bit more in there of the, the proactive things that we can do but there's still that top heavy around when when I open up a mental health and wellbeing course, it's still quite mental illness rather than... Um, so it's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's reactive, right? Reactive it's, it's not about... The, the really proactive approach that we can do universally with all students. Um, so, yeah, I think we will get there. It's just taking some time. Yeah, I <laughs> I agree. And that's, that's our yeah, learned hopefulness, yeah. right? <laughs> uh, learned optimism. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. Um, so something that Jason and I talk about a lot because we're the 
flourishing at school podcast is what a flourishing school looks like. And I think, especially because you're in, you're in a different country than we've spoken to before. I'm curious if you walked into a school and everything was going right with the whole school well-being or positive education, how do you think you would know when you walked into that school that this school is doing something right? Yeah, um, I think at the heart of it, a lot has to do with, with the relationships and the, the feeling that you can see that the relationships between the staff and the students is really high quality and the relationships between the peers themselves is also um, really strong. So I kind of that vision of walking to your school and, you know, you hear students helping another student out and being there for them, whatever the age um, and and staff within staff, you know, sometimes when you go into the staff room, um, it can be often about what's gone wrong in the day. But like, it'd be so nice to kind of hear the buzz of, oh, this has gone really well and I've tried this out and that's gone great. And, and you know, obviously there's going to be ups and downs um, and just like staff and students being there for each other and supporting each other through that. Um, you know, I do think that if we get relationships right um, and staff and students feel like they they have someone there that cares about them and, and looks out for them, um, I think that makes a huge difference. Um and so that would be a, a key thing for me. And when I was at a previous school, I was quite heavily involved in fundraising activities and helping young people kind of develop their leadership skills through fundraising and, and help like doing things for others, helping others out. And I think that's a big part as well, like where you're not only feeling good and doing good for yourself, but you actively want to make a difference to others and whether that's through some fundraising or volunteering your time to help out with um, clubs or activities, um, organising in our house events so that, you know, you have that fun um, competition, staffy pupils, you know, all those kind of great things that really help with that ethos in a school and that positive vibe. I think that would um, sum that up for me. Yeah. Yeah, that rings so true in, in my experience. My youngest son... Uh, I asked him one time, I love asking students, uh, what's your school doing really well that they should keep doing? And what do you think your school could do that maybe they haven't done yet? And, and my son's comment around what schools could do is he's like, how come there isn't something like we have dating software? Why isn't there matching to teacher <laughs> and student software? Yeah. And it, it made a ton of sense to me, especially with this kid because he is more impacted by mm. the relationship he has with this, with the teacher than anything else. Um, and I think that's true. Of, I don't think that's just my son. I think that's most kids. Right. And so if we had some way to help mm. kind of grease, <laughs> grease the way so that, okay, yeah, everybody can have a relationship with everybody, but there are some people that just get one another. Um, and, and so I am super hopeful as we develop these, human skills for the humans in the building that we also use the technology to help us do that better in the future. I thought he had a pretty yeah, smart idea. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right. Well, I want to ask you this because we are a podcast and you, you talked about your love of learning. Uh, we love asking our guests around 
where do they go? What are their go-to resources, whether it's podcasts, books, videos? Um, who do you learn from? Yeah, so um, I, I'm, I've kind of gone down the rabbit hole of um, neuroscience just now, and I've, I've really, like, I really want to learn more about neuroscience and trauma-informed practices. And um, although, although I feel like coaching is great, I think some young people generally don't know why they feel the way they do or what's causing it. And I'm really quite interested in that, like, mind-body, like, yeah, like the somatic experiencing type of, like, we've got to release kind of trauma from the body um, before we can even think about cognitively doing things. So um, I recently bought a book, I think it's just like um, Neuroscience for the Developing Child. I can't remember who it's by, but that's kind of what I've gone into just now. And I have been listening to the, I think it's the PISA um, recordings. And lately, Susie Green was on. PISA is the Positive Education School Association yes. out of Australia. Um, so I, I listened to one recently with uh, Susie Green on Positive Psychology Coaching. Um, mm. And the, the UK chapter of the International Coaching Federation, they've got a series that's relating to trauma um trauma-informed kind of coaching. So um, I'm keen to keep listening to, to those as well. Um, and, and a go-to resource for me actually in the UK is another organisation that has very um, similar um, passion and vision as I do, although they have been much more long-established than, than me, but it's worth it, positive education. Um, with Liz oh, Rossi yeah, Kelly, I love that. Kelly and... Um, I love how they've got lots of blogs with real life stories of how primary schools and secondary schools have taken um, positive psychology and like the search framework and, and embedded that into a whole school approach. And there've been some really nice stories around how they've um, one primary school um, started up wellbeing monitors um, within the class and checking in on kids that maybe said that they weren't feeling happy that day or sad and. I just, um, I really think that helping teach or um, upskill young people in uh, a lot of these skills, whether it's wellbeing strategies or coaching, can make a huge difference. Because quite often, a lot of the time, the staff are under a lot of pressure, but having that peer-to-peer -peer support um, is invaluable, really. So, um, yeah, I've got some uh, passion for, for rolling some of that out as well within my work as well. Those are great recommendations. Thank you. And I'm going to throw one in your direction because if you've gotten into neuroscience, there's a group um, called the Center for Transformative okay. Teaching and Learning. Um, their, their product is NeuroTeach. They're out of the U.S. It's a group of teachers who became passionate about applying neuroscience to teaching and they have some brilliant tools. And so I absolutely recommend to our audience that they check out the center for transformative teaching and learning. And yeah. I'm going to be reaching out to my friends there to join us on another episode of this podcast. Um, and then that somatic yeah. sensory stuff is so important, right? Because your body tells yeah. you first and, and we, it's so obvious in school when a student 
is hijacked by an emotion or a relationship problem, yeah, you no. can't learn. They're not available and nothing a good teacher can do is going to change that if they don't have the human skills to help that student. Yeah, down absolutely. So yeah, that's my next learning. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, I am at the end of my questions. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you wanted to talk about before we wrap up? Um, not as such. I think there was one thing I think I was going to try put in somewhere, um, but that was just around, um, like I mentioned just at the end there, about how we can really use our students to help each other more. So um, part of what I've developed is a coach training programme for students. Um, and I've done that a few times with um, some schools where we've trained the kind of 16, 17 year old students in coaching skills and given them a bunch of wellbeing strategies to then be able to support their peers. Um, and some schools have like a drop in at a lunchtime where they can go in and have a chat to the, the wellbeing coaches or the peer educators. They, they all give them different names, but it's just really having, having those senior students have some skills that they feel they can have those conversations with young people and know what to say and they don't have to fix things. They don't have to have answers. They just can listen, um, be empathetic and, and offer some wellbeing strategies that might work for them. And what I've seen when I've done some of the before and after surveys is um, the young people that I did the training with to become coaches, their wellbeing improved just doing the course um, because they're obviously practicing some of the skills with each other and, and using some real life kind of um, situations to be coached on as they're learning the skills. And then that's before they've even started helping you know young people around them um and i think young people in first like first or second year would be you know 12 13 14 you know getting some support and help from you know a peer that's 16 17 that's cool <laughs> and you know much maybe what <laughs> way cooler yeah, than getting support you know, so from a teacher right i think right? there's a lot in there that we can um do more with um and young people themselves appreciate getting those skills and doing that training and then they feel much more um, equipped and confident in helping young people around them as well. I'm really glad you shared that because I think that is one of your <laughs> kind of secret sauce to, to what you've done really well. Um, I often recommend when I'm working with a school that they implement some type of cross grade learning for that mm -hmm. reason. It strengthens the community. You've got the young ones now having somebody in an older grade that they feel like they can connect with and smile at on campus. Um, and I see the same thing happen actually when it's done well, putting teachers in that role because teachers often resist mm -hmm. learning this work, but if they are becoming mentors or coaches, even yeah. in a tiny capacity, the same thing happens that you talked about with the older students, older students are resistant because they're way too cool for school. But when you make them the leader, they learn something and the same thing happens when you make the teachers the leader. They, they do learn something as well. And yeah. so it, it is this virtuous cycle that, that comes back to humans are good. Yeah. They want to help one another. Um, and they're willing to do more for somebody else than they might be willing to do just for themselves. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing uh, your brilliance with us, Angie. I really enjoyed this conversation and I know that 
tell tell our listeners your website so that they can find you if they want to learn more about you. Yeah, sure. Um, so it's um, Full Color Coach. Um, so www.fullcolorcoach.com. Um, and you can find me on social media just at Full Color Coaching um, as well. Excellent. And so I'm going to pop in there for our American listeners because we have a lot of them that this is the spelling that the rest of the yes. world uses for color with a <laughs> oh, you. Right. We had a U in there. Not, yeah, that's so true. Yeah. 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 Um, the global yeah. mind comes back because I know that I'm so often told, oh, yeah. you spelt color wrong. <laughs> and I'm yeah. like, what country am I in? So, yeah. So reach out to Angie there. I'm yeah. on LinkedIn. Angie's on LinkedIn. Jason's on LinkedIn. You can also find us there. Uh, if you are listening to this episode, don't forget, you can also watch us on our YouTube channel over at Flourish DX YouTube. And that's it for today. We'll catch you on the next episode. And until then, keep flourishing at school and in life. You've been listening to the Flourishing at School podcast. To stay up to date with the latest on whole school mental health, follow Flourish DX School on LinkedIn and subscribe to the Flourishing at School podcast at www.flourishingatschool.com.